Good morning. It's really good to be here this morning. It's encouraging and uplifting to be here this morning. And I thought about that as we, as we sang these songs of praise. Why am I so encouraged? Why am I so lifted up to be here with you all? And it might be part to do with the fact that I came up early from class and heard John say I'm a good preacher. And, uh, <laughs> but that's not the reason. And the singing was encouraging and uplifting, but even that's not the reason. Henry, little Henry, he gave me a high five. He helped me open the door for members coming in. That warmed my heart, but that's still not the reason. I cherish all of these things. But I realize the reason I love being here, the reason I am encouraged every time we come together is because this is a place where God's things are done. And God's things are done in God's ways. And this is a people, you are a people that desire that and love that. And that builds me up, that strengthens me. And I thank you for that. I hope that I can return that feeling uh, and, and that encouragement as we dive into God's Word this morning. Open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, we'll be reading from there in just a moment. Prior to this, to what we're going to read in Mark, in Mark 2, we find Jesus has come into the scene and He has been preaching and He has been healing and He has started calling people to His cause. He called Simon and Andrew and James and John, fishermen, to, to leave what they were doing and to come follow Him. And that's not something that ended with Jesus' ministry. Towards the end of his life, the last words that are recorded in, in the Gospels record, record his, his desire for his followers, specifically his apostles, who then in turn told us to follow the example and the commands that they had been given. He said, you go and you call people. Matthew chapter 28, you go and you call people to be disciples, to follow me, to learn my ways, to be baptized. In Mark chapter 16, he says, you call people to enjoy my salvation. And sometimes I think that we, when we think about that calling, that every single one of us as a disciple of Christ, as a follower of Christ, has an a obligation to, to be involved in, I think sometimes we, we try to determine, well, if that's what I'm called to do, who's going to be a suitable prospect for that call? Who's going to be a suitable prospect for discipleship? Who's going to be a suitable prospect for salvation? Now understand when I say that, I'm not suggesting that we think, well, they, they are worth saving and they're not worth saving. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is we wake up in the morning and very few of us wake up going, I really can't wait to fail today. I'm going to tell you, I didn't wake up this morning going, I sure hope I fall on my face in this sermon this morning. I trip over my toes and my tongue gets tied. I, just, I can't wait for this to just go down in flames. We wake up and we say, I want to succeed. And I want to give myself every good chance to succeed. And I think there's something good in that. There's something that we should desire to be successful. But sometimes we can take that and allow it to change the way we would maybe try to succeed in the calling that we've been given. I want to think just for a very quick moment about this idea of failure. As I was preparing for this, I read a story about Thomas Edison, who was asked by a reporter. He was, he was working on an invention, and this reporter came to him and said, now, now, Mr. Edison, I just want to know, how do you keep pressing on? How do you keep trying to, to invent this thing that you're working on despite your thousands of failures? What keeps your spirits up? How do you keep pressing on? And his response was, failures. I don't have thousands of failures. I have simply found thousands of combinations that will not work. You see, he viewed that not as a failure. 
Here's my goal. This is what I'm working towards. And this way, that's not going to get me there. This way, that's not going to get me there. That's not a failure. That's moving me closer and closer towards success. And it is said in this story, again, I, I want to, to, to say I have no idea if this was something that somebody had fabricated or not, but it is said that after this, this interview, three days later is when he finally invented the light bulb. Thousands of what we would consider failures led up to him trying to invent a light bulb. He didn't view it that way. We shouldn't view things that don't work as failures. We are working towards a success. Yes, we want to see people who are coming to discipleship, who are coming to salvation. But when that doesn't happen, we shouldn't look at ourselves and say, well, I failed, I need to change my approach. Jesus gives us an approach that, that blows my mind. Jesus gives us an approach here in Mark chapter 2. We're going to read verses 13 through 17 that says, don't limit your prospects for fear of failure. In fact, his approach, it goes along with the idea of the sower. He's going to throw that seed as far and as wide, and he doesn't care the ground that it's going to land on. And yes, sometimes that seed is not going to produce. But when it does, it's going to produce something that will grow useful in the service of the Lord. So read with me. Mark chapter 2. Let's look at verses 13 through 17. And he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I want to think about that this morning. I want to think about this narrative that is recorded for us this morning. Kind of break it down a little bit and then find out what does that mean to me? How does that apply to me today? One of the first things that we notice in this account is that Jesus calls a tax collector. He calls a publican, maybe as some of your translations say. He is teaching by the seashore. He, his, a lot of his teaching in this early time is focused around the areas of Galilee. He's teaching and he sees Levi sitting at the tax office, the son of Alphaeus. Now, if you were to look in Matthew chapter 9, you would find that Levi is also called Matthew. In different, in, in, in different languages and different ways that they were spoken to, whether they were speaking to Jews, whether they are speaking to Greeks, they would use a different name. So whenever Matthew records this, he's speaking about himself. Levi is Matthew, is the apostle that Jesus calls as the writer of the book of Matthew. And it tells us that he was a tax collector, a publican, and that is a profession that is not well liked. I want you to consider for a moment if we tried to put this in our context today, an American who decided, you know what? I'm going to start helping a country that is uh, less than, than in, in a good relationship with, um, with my own country, with America. Maybe I'm going to go and I'm going to start helping out Iran. Or I'm going to go start helping out, you know, Iran's a, com a country that we have had present uh, conflict with. There's been things that have, tight, uh, that have heightened our... our uh, awareness of what they are doing in the world scene, but also maybe I'm going to go help North Korea, or I'm going to go help China, or go help Russia, or one of these countries that has had a past with America that has been less than, less than pleasing, we'll say. But not only am I going to do that, I'm going to take money from my fellow Americans, 
And I'm going to give it to these countries to help them out in some way. And, and whenever I do that, I'm also going to make a living off of that, skimming off the top. We're going to look at that person. We're going to say, you're a traitor. You're an extortionist. We don't want to have anything to do with you. That's the, the worldly attitude that people will have. We'll say, we're going to go to their house and we're going to, we're going to burn your house down. We're going to run you out of town. That, I can't believe you would ever consider to help, help somebody like this. That's a view that we can see in our world today. We could see people maybe responding like that. And that is what Matthew was to the Jews. He was a traitor and he was an extortionist. He was something that was helping the Roman government, the government that was, that was oppressing them, the, Ro- the, the government that was over top of them when they wanted to be their own nation, their own entity. And he was not only helping that government out, he was helping them by taking money from his own people. And oftentimes... By doing so, charging a high and exorbitant fee on top of it. So he would go to the, uh, or the, when I say he, I should say the tax collectors. It's not recorded what Matthew did, but tax collectors were known for going to the people and they say, hey, you owe money to Rome. Let's say maybe you got 10% here, 15%. I'll tell you what, you just make it an even 50% and, and, and we'll call it good. And I'm going to take everything off the top. That doesn't really go to them, and that's how I'm going to make my living. People looked at them. They didn't look at them as, oh, that's a, that's a good profession. They looked at them as if they were disgusting. As you notice, they were described as the sinners. They were, descri- they were, they were described alongside the sinners in this, in this text. And yet, even though they are classed together with this, and in other passages they're classed together with even the harlots, Jesus calls to him. He says, you... Sitting at the tax office. You, who everybody looks around and thinks, there's no way on earth we're going to have anything to do with that guy. You, I want you to come follow me. I want you to come follow me. And it says that he, he followed him. Luke chapter 5, verse 28 says that he left everything behind and begun to follow him. He is not someone that we might consider having potential, having a, being a good prospect to be a follower of Christ. And then what do we see happen after that? After Jesus calls him and after he leaves everything, the very next verse tells us that he goes off and he hosts this great feast for Jesus. And he invites people into his house. And many of them are tax collectors. Many of them are sinners. They are present. And this is beyond shocking. If, if it's hard to believe that Jesus would call someone like this to come and to follow him, That's never going to work. Why would Jesus waste his time with that? Not only does that work, but now Jesus has seated himself and is eating and is in the house of these sinners and these these other tax collectors and, and maybe even harlots. And it's just, how could he possibly be doing this is the attitude of the scribes of the Pharisees. This is unbelievable that he would consider this. In fact, in Mark chapter 2, verse 16, they say they're asking the question, why is he eating? But in Luke chapter 5, they're saying they are grumbling, they are complaining. This is, this is disgusting to them. This is greatly displeasing to them. Why? Oh, why would you who have come and are calling people to, to, to follow God, why would you be here with people like this? And Jesus' response is not those who are healthy that need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. His words reveal why Levi, why Matthew was a great prospect for discipleship. 
His words reveal exactly why He called Him, why He was in the house with the other sinners. And as I reflect on that narrative, and I hope that we will all reflect on that narrative this morning, what can we learn from that? What can we take and apply in our lives? I want to start at the end of our text and kind of work backwards this morning, considering some lessons that we learn from this. The first one that is just so obvious with the words of Jesus is, I have come looking for sinners. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus didn't come. He didn't come to earth going, show me the religious people. Show me the people that are, that are in God's Word, that are studying God's Word. He didn't come to the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and the lawyers. He said, where are the sinners? Where are the people who are downtrodden? Where are the people who are broken by what sin has done to them? Because He saw sin for what it is. Sin is a disease. Sin is a sickness. And he understood, he understood better than anyone else that everyone in his creation has been infected. We are all sick. And it's not a sickness that we see. What a difference it would make to be able to, to look at our skin and see, see the, the spots and the, the, the scabs and the, the cancers hanging off our body that sin would have to possibly be if it was a physical disease. It's a sickness that infects our heart. It's a sickness that affects our mind to which we look at ourselves and say, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm doing everything just fine. The scribes and the Pharisees had this sickness. I'm doing everything fine. I'm pleasing to God. Jesus said, no, I'm looking, I'm looking for people who are sick and people who even know they are sick. Sinners, the tax collectors, the harlots that he ate with, they recognize what Paul talks about. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us, every one of us had this sickness that we couldn't do anything about. We were not immune to it. We were not safe from it. There was nothing that we could do to survive. We were dead. Many still are. And the great physician came into the world saying, I'm looking for you. I'm looking for those that have this sickness in their heart. I'm looking for those who are dead because they are my creation and I love them and I want them to be alive with me. I want to heal them so that they will live with me in eternity. And He is ready to come to those and to heal those who are willing to repent, who are willing to turn away. And so the first thing that I think of is those words of Jesus, I'm looking for sinners, is that no matter how great my sin is, no matter how many terrible things that I have done in my life, Jesus is capable of healing that. He is looking for people who are burdened, looking for people who are suffering, looking to ease that burden and to bring them joy. Another lesson that we learn from this is in the response of Levi in opening his house. Opening his house, one of the things that becomes obvious when we consider the call of Jesus is that he expects people that have, that have been healed by him, people who have seen his love, people who have seen his care for the world to be telling other people about it, to be calling them to him, to be, to be free from their sin. And friends, Levi shows, offer great potential in being able to do that. He provides a wonderful method of personal evangelism. 
One thing that I was, I was clear about when I started here, I guess it's been three years ago, it was October of 2015 that I became full-time working with you all here and I quit my job. Three years ago, I made it clear I'm not the evangelist of Lake Street. I am not the minister of Lake Street. My name might be on a business card. My name might be on a sign out there, but I'm not the evangelist. I am a evangelist. I am a minister. There's a commercial that's making its rounds right now. Um, to be honest with you, I don't even know where I see it at because we don't have cable or, or, or satellite or anything, but I keep seeing this commercial of a nurse who defied the odds and found a way to go and help people with Ebola. I think it says that she wrapped trash bags and, and duct tape around her to try and not become infected so she could help people with Ebola. And every time I see that commercial, I think, isn't that what we are? Aren't we called to be nurses? We are all ministers. We are ministering aid for the great physician, the great doctor. We are helping Bring people to Him so that He can, can heal them. We are called to be that. And Levi says, I know a way I can do that. Come to my house. Come to my house where I will invite my friends and my co-workers and the people that need your healing. They will be there and they will hear you. And He's not the only one that sets that example. Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 24, he did the same thing. It says on the following day, he, this being Peter in Acts chapter 10, Peter was traveling and Peter entered into Caesarea and Cornelius was waiting for them and he called together his relatives and his close friends. He had called the people together that needed to hear this message. And in verse 33, when you go down a little bit farther, he's saying, all right, Peter, now you tell them. You tell them the things that Jesus has commanded you. I want them to know what I know now, what I have heard. I want them to know the glory and the wonder and the might and the joy and the love of God. So inviting family and friends for a home Bible study. And I want to make sure that we're clear on this. He was inviting them to hear the things the Lord had commanded. He didn't go to his friends. Levi didn't go to his co-workers and say, Hey everybody, I want you all to come and hear all the ways that you're going to go to hell. That's not what he was saying. He said, I want you to come and I want you to hear the love of God. I want you to come and hear the joy of God, the salvation of God, what He has done for me, what He can do for you, what His Bible tells us. Let's study it together. And that is a great way. That is a great way for us to share the Gospel with those that we might have an impact on. Friends and family and co-workers. Another lesson that we learn in this is that we are called to be separate from this world, but we are not called to be isolated from the world. The Bible absolutely teaches the idea of separation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, I love the way it reads here. It says, Do not be deceived. Brethren, do not be fooled. Do not be tricked. Do not be confused. Bad company corrupts good morals. There is no way that you can surround yourself with those of the world, those that are, that are hating God, those that are standing against God, those that are wicked, and not be affected by that. Do not be tricked. Do not let Satan trick you into thinking that bad company will not lead to a corruption of your good morals. In fact, in the second, in the second chapter, uh, I, I didn't want to put this one on the board. It was a little bit longer. So let's turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. 
We read there the, the instruction that Paul gives the Corinthians in regards to their relationships with people in the world. And the relationships that he's talking about here in the context, he is talking about a, a business venture. But what we read here, starting in verse 14, he says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony is Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. He tells them in regards to their relationships with people in the world, especially relationships where they will be bound to them in, in a great uh, area in which they can be affected by that, they can be influenced by that. He says, don't put yourself in those situations. Be separate from them. It's the same language that he does, that he talks to Abraham, and he talks to the Israelites, and he talks to Lot. And when Lot was in Sodom, he says, get out of that relationship. Get out of the city. Because it's going to be destroyed. And if you stay, you will be destroyed with it. That is what that will do to you. Is It will destroy you the same way that, that Solomon was destroyed by his, his many foreign wives that pulled his heart away from God to follow after their gods. He says you have to be separate. But you do not have to be isolated. You do not have to be cut off. In 1 Corinthians 5, <clears throat> Back over in 1 Corinthians 5, look at verses 9 and 10. Here, the Corinthians obviously were in need of this instruction of not being isolated. He says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. He's, again, what he's saying in 2 Corinthians, the same thing was said in 1 Corinthians. He said, do not be, be joined with them. Be separate from immoral people. But verse 10, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers, or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. He says you've got to live in this world to help the people in this world. It, Christ wants to be the great physician of the people in this world. And if you, if you want to just leave all that, you're going to have to leave the planet. You have to get out of here because nowhere you can go where you won't find that. So while we have to be separate from them, we have to be holy and sanctified. That means we are set apart. We have to be, as we're going to sing in a moment, we have to be a sanctuary. Set apart for God. We have to be separate. We can't be isolated. And that's why Mark chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, Jesus is willing to eat with the sinners. He's willing to go where sinners are, but going with the intention of healing them, helping them, revealing to them the will of God. Not going with them to enjoy what they are doing, to go in with what they are doing, to involve Himself with the sin that they are involved in, but to be a light to them. To bring them to, to the healing power of God. To heal those with sick who are sick. We have to be able to spend time with those who are sick. We have to involve ourselves with them. And then lastly, I want us to note that Jesus calls the busy to serve. Consider who He's already called in Mark chapter 1. He called Andrew and Simon and James and John. Fishermen. Now, we're not thinking about fishermen out here on Lake Mingo that you see every time you pass by here sitting out there with a rod and reel just, just watching the clouds go by. You talk about guys that are working hard, that are pulling nets, that are drawing fish in to feed their families, to, to bring income for them. This is their life, their retirement. This is everything. They are busy. And Jesus says, you, you that's, 
that's in the middle of your life, you come follow me. And they left everything. Tax collector, Levi, is sitting at the tax office. The tax booth. I imagine that probably means that he's, he's got a line of people that are coming begrudgingly to pay their taxes maybe. He's sitting where his place of employment is. And Jesus says, you, that's busy. You come follow me. Sometimes we get the mindset that God only wants those who don't have a lot of time on their hands. God only wants the young men to go and to, to try and hone their abilities to become preachers. God only wants the retired to, to, to serve maybe as an elder or to do some work. God only wants people with not a lot of time on their hands. And that is not the case. In our reading this morning in 1 Samuel, did you notice the first king of Israel, Saul, was busy looking for a donkey whenever he is going to be anointed to come and to, to, to be the king. Moses was busy with his flocks at Horeb. Gideon was busy threshing wheat by the wine press. David was busy caring for his father's sheep. Elijah was plowing a field. Nehemiah was working for the king. Cupbearer. They are busy people. And God says, I see you when you're busy. And I want you. I want you to come and follow me. He sees the value in a busy person. We need to see the value in that as well because there is work that every single one of us can do that we can provide to the service of God and His kingdom. Jesus' interaction with the tax collector serves to remind us of some things. It serves to remind us. His interaction with Levi should tell us I'm never too sinful to be saved by Jesus. I am never too busy to serve Jesus. And I have to be willing to reach out to this world. I have to be willing to make opportunities for other people to learn those same messages. So how about us? Are we willing to serve Jesus no matter how busy we are? Are we willing to serve Jesus no matter how consequential it might be in our life? Are willing to join Him in seeking and saving the lost? Are you willing to let Jesus be your great physician? Are you willing to let Jesus come and, and remove the sin that is in your life, the disease that is wrapped around your heart? If you have not done that today, my question for you is why not? Why not now? Why not this morning? Come to Him and be saved by, by the, the love that He offers. He says, I'm looking for you. I didn't come to this world looking for those that are righteous. I didn't come to this world looking for those who have been healed. I came to this world looking for those who are lost. Those who are in sin. Those who are sick. I want you. And if you will come to me, if you will repent, that means that you, you will change your heart. You will see, I am sick. I have been living this life where I do things my way. I'm ready to do things your way. I'm ready to do God's things God's ways. That's repentance. A change of heart that leads to a change of action. If I will confess that I do believe Jesus is that great physician, the one that has come into the world, the Son of God who is living today, then I will be baptized. There's water here. There's water prepared. And there are hearts prepared to help you, to minister to you the way that we have been ministered to. If we can help you in that in some way, won't you please let it be known. Come forward as we stand and as we sing.